Well, over the last few weeks, as I've preached the final chapters of Isaiah, a number of you have asked what I'd be preaching on next. And some of you are better than others at hiding the please God, not Leviticus face. So the answer, as I shared with our New Testament reading, is I'll be preaching through Paul's letter to the Philippians. But why this book? And how do you choose even where to go next after being somewhere for so long? Well, I've answered that question in a number of smaller settings a few times, but I don't think I've ever shared it in the context of worship. And so I think of preaching in terms of eating, as I like to think about eating a whole lot. And the Bible says that pastors should feed the flock. And that means that we should feed you the word of God, that Jesus said man does not live on bread alone, but on the very word of God. And so when we think about eating, we need to eat regularly, which is why it is important the word is preached every week. And the Old and the New Testament readings supplement the sermon text like side dishes, pairing well with the main course so that we have a well-rounded meal each week to be fed. And when we meet, when we eat, as much as we like tasting things that taste good, nourishment is more important than taste. So you may not remember what you had for dinner last week, just as you may not remember what I preached on last July, but you were fed and you were nourished. And yes, there are some meals or sermons that are more memorable or especially delicious, But for the most part, we need nourishment more than we need the wow factor of taste. And also when we eat, we need that balanced diet. I would love nothing more than to eat only bacon and Cheetos and Chick-fil-A. It would be delightful. But as emotionally fulfilling as that would be, I would not be physically healthy. And so we need a balanced diet of the word, feasting on the Old and the New Testament, tasting narratives and poetry, sampling history and the letters and the prophets and all the genres of Scripture. And so my goal as the chef is over the course of a number of years to give us that balanced diet like fruits and vegetables and dairy and proteins and meats so that we are receiving significant portions from all the food groups, and genres of Scripture. And so having just spent many meals in the Old Testament prophets, it seems appropriate to turn to the New Testament letters. But before we open Philippians for real, I want us to take a few weeks of backstory, to take two weeks looking at Paul's first visit to the city of Philippi. The Apostle Paul writes to the Christians in Philippi because they already had a relationship. That's unlike Romans. When Paul wrote to Romans, he had never been there. But he had been to Philippi. He knew people there. He mentioned some by name that he remembers seeing there. And so it's a letter of friendship. A letter of friendship. And a friendship that began in Acts chapter 16 during his second missionary journey. And so... This initial encounter in Philippi gives us insight into the founding moments of the friendship between Paul and the Philippians, introducing us to some of the themes that Paul will get at in the entire letter that he writes to them. So you can open up your bulletins, your Bibles, your phones, wherever you happen to have Acts chapter 16, as we turn 
there, and we look at Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 24. We'll be looking at verses 25 through 40, the second half of this, next week. So Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As they were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone... They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give thanks for your word and that you speak to us. And I pray today, O God, that you would use me by your Holy Spirit to proclaim your word and to explain, to expound, to apply, and that it would be received. We hear in these verses that you opened Lydia's heart to receive what Paul was teaching. And I pray, O God, that the same would be true today, that hearts and minds would be open to receive what you are saying today through your word. And so God, bless us in the hearing of the Word, and the receiving of the Word, and then putting it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I want us thinking about what does it look like to do gospel mission work? This section of the book of Acts is Paul on his missionary journeys, and he's doing mission work. And by mission work, I mean the work of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people who don't know the good news of Jesus Christ and certainly do not believe the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was called to do. 
that Paul was sent by God to places that had never heard about Jesus so that they might know Jesus and the message of Jesus would spread. And so in this passage here, in the first part of Acts 16, we see the fruit as well as the frustration of mission work. The first half of the passage shows us the fruit. We're initially told that they journeyed by sea through a few ports to get to Philippi. And to us, these ancient place names don't mean a whole lot unless we've been on a Mediterranean cruise out there. We don't really know where any of them are. But they show us that the Lord is blessing him. You see, just before the passage where I read, Paul was planning to go to Asia. Not Asia as we think of it, but what, they, what we now know as Turkey was called Asia. And God revealed to him in a dream, you need to go to Macedonia, which was in northern Greece. And so after God says, go here, he then essentially does his mighty wind to blow that ship quickly where it needs to go. That they make the journey to Philippi in two days. In Acts chapter 20, the exact same journey in reverse takes five days. It's as if God says, I want you to go there, and he gives them a quick boost to get there. And so the Lord sends him, tells him where he wants to go, and gets him there quickly. It would be really nice if God just did that all the time. Eric, I want you to go there. And then just all the doors open and make it real easy for us to know where to go. Well, upon arriving in Philippi, Paul would normally seek out the synagogue, the collection of Jewish believers, so he would at least have an understanding of the Old Testament to work with. However, we hear no mention of a synagogue, perhaps because there were not that many Jewish people in Philippi. We don't know. And it seems like a roadblock, but Paul works around it, or the Lord helps him work around it. And he finds a group of women praying And he shares with them the message of Jesus Christ. And the Lord opens one woman's heart to believe in Jesus. This woman, Lydia, is an apparently wealthy Gentile who sells purple goods, probably purple textiles, and selling them to the wealthy in Philippi. She had already been a worshiper of God, it says, meaning that she was following the God of Israel. She just wasn't acting like a Jew with the clean and unclean. She was kind of an outside fringe believer in the God of Israel. And she goes from a worshiper of God to a follower of Jesus. We don't know if she was baptized on that day or if it was after a number of weeks of conversations and questions that she eventually pledged her faith to Jesus. Either way, Paul's first contact that we hear about in this new city came to faith. That the Lord blessed him with immediate fruit. And this is exactly how we dream mission work would go. It really is. You go into a new city. You meet someone who is already interested in God. They listen intently to what you're saying. And bam, the Lord opens their heart to believe in Jesus. And they're baptized. And their whole household is baptized. And then they say, well, how can I help you guys? I mean, that's how you draw it up right there. That is exactly what you're looking for. We see in Lydia someone answering three fundamental questions. Who is Jesus as she sits and learns? What must I do 
to respond to this message as her heart is open and she is baptized? And then, how can I help others to know this Jesus too? As she offers her home as a base for Paul. Clearly, the Lord was at work through Paul in Philippi. And the key moment is where it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. It wasn't Paul's clever strategy, though he did look for those who were worshiping God. It wasn't Paul's dynamic speaking ability. No. Paul simply shared the message of Jesus Christ. And the Lord opened a sinner's heart to believe. Paul planted and God gave the growth. The fruit was immediate. It was obvious. And a door was opened for continued work as Lydia opened her home, sacrificing her own place, her own possessions, that they would be able to work out of her home and help others to know this Jesus. But the continued mission work in Philippi would have its share of frustrations along with fruit. As Paul and his companions continue to do good work, we learn that the apostle grows annoyed or frustrated with a slave girl. And this slave girl was possessed by some kind of spirit of divination, allowing her to be a successful and profitable fortune teller. And we hear about this passage and we immediately have two big questions just jumping out in our brain. One is, what is the deal with this spirit in this girl? And two, Paul, like, did you need to get annoyed? Was he right to get annoyed? Was he angry and sinful in doing that? Because when we're annoyed, we're not always the holiest, you know? So first, what's going on with this spirit? Well, since divination and fortune telling are expressly forbidden in the Word of God, this spirit is not a holy one. It is an evil spirit. And so somehow this evil spirit is able to give this girl inside information. Information that customers would think is secret and known only to them. And she's able to use that information and they go, how did you know? And then the money just starts coming out as she can make profitable predictions about the future that may or may not have come true. To us, we hear such things and we're immediately cynical, thinking they're scams. But the Bible is very clear that evil spirits are a real thing with real power over people. And this is one particular instance. And so that's what's going on with the spirit, at least as far as we can tell. The second big question was, did Paul flip out here? See, the girl is following them. It says repeatedly for many days, and she's crying out, these men, Paul and Silas and his companions, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. At first, it, you might wonder, like, why is it so bad to have a hype man like that announcing, you know, a very faithful message. We indeed are servants of the Most High God. Yes, we do have the way of salvation. Paul does not seem to be so much upset with the content of what she is saying as much as it is the association of who is saying it. You see, for Paul, he didn't want people to think that him and this slave girl served the same divine master. 
that by her announcing his message, there was a connection being drawn between them, a connection that he did not want to exist. And so trying to distance himself from this connection, he casts out the spirit in the name of Jesus and he frees this slave girl from the possessing spirit and frees himself from the perception that he is dealing in the dark arts. But while this slave girl is no longer possessed by the evil spirit, she is still possessed by her masters. And further frustration ensues when the owners realize that Paul has taken away their property's ability to make a profit. And so rather than seeing this slave girl that belonged to them as having her condition improved, they only saw their economic condition worsened. Their owners say their hope of gain is gone. It's gone because of Paul. From their perspective, it was like someone came along and destroyed their place of business. They felt threatened by this newcomer who could upend their livelihood, by this man who had a power in the name of this Jesus who could just wipe out what they're doing. They, could, they realized this man will disturb life in Philippi. See, Philippi was a proud Roman colony living the Roman way. And these Jewish men who proclaimed this Jesus were starting to gather a following and disrupting things. And so Paul and Silas are dragged before the authorities and they are attacked by the crowd. They are beaten with rods without a trial of any kind. They are put into prison without any official charges. And what had seemed a fruitful mission opportunity turned into one frustration after another. But notice that Paul and his companions did nothing wrong. Unless you're going to say he was annoyed wrongly. All they did was do a miracle and cast out an evil spirit. And yet they're thrown in prison and beaten. It's very similar to how the Pharisees would get upset at Jesus for healing someone on the Sabbath. It's like, I'm sorry, what did you, what are you mad about again that I healed that sick person? Got it. Okay, just making sure what you're mad about. And so many people would look here at the first part of Acts 16 and look at Paul and Silas's mission work in its totality and see only frustration and failure. That the fruit of that one conversion and that one miracle seemed to be outweighed by the frustration of physical beatings and social shaming and wrongful imprisonment. That instead of getting to stay in Lydia's house, you are staying in chains in prison. And so while Lydia may have gladly heard the gospel, it seems the city of Philippi didn't want to hear it. But this negative response to gospel mission work should not be surprising. Mission work is full of frustration because as Christians, we proclaim a kingdom that is not of this world. Philippi was very proud of their way of life. That unlike many other cities in the empire, Philippi was a Roman colony. One of the many perks of being a Roman colony is little to no taxes. Amen? Amen. Good stuff, you know. They loved that. They had a proud history of being this colony. They were exceptional. They were proud that they followed Rome and did things in a Roman way. 
These slave owners had gained much as a city and didn't want to lose it, but they couldn't see and they could not hear that there was something far greater to gain than being a mini Rome. The gospel invites us to be citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And as citizens of that kingdom, we have access to a king who sits on a higher throne than Caesar or the president of the United States. Think about that. Lydia may have socialized with some of the elite of Philippi as she sold them her fancy fabrics, but she has access through Christ to the elitist of the elite. To God Almighty in heaven, she was adopted into the family of God and given free access to the creator of heaven and earth. And she may not have given up her business selling purple fabrics, but she saw to use them in a different way. That the profitability of her economic situation did not matter compared to the expansion of the kingdom. And so, yes... Paul and Silas were frustrated by much in the mission work in Philippi. They suffered great physical pain and discomfort for doing a miraculous good work. But those frustrations were far outweighed by the gain of Lydia's conversion. Lydia heard about Jesus and she responded in faith and in sacrificial obedience. It is the fruit we long for and look for as Christians. For each of us is called to be a missionary in the place where God has placed us. We do that by sharing the good news of our King Jesus, how He came to save sinners through His life, His death, and His resurrection, and calls us to serve Him through sacrificial obedience. It is a costly commitment And it will lead to a loss of worldly gain. We will experience many frustrations. But what we have gained in Christ far surpasses anything we will have lost. Even physical and social discomfort and suffering. As Paul will write to the Philippians in his letter in chapter 3, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Lydia's heart was opened to know the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus as her Lord. And her Lord is our Lord. And he still opens hearts today to hear the good news. So may we share the gospel of Christ in the places where He has placed us. Praying for the fruit and praying for the faith to endure the frustrations for we know that any frustration we face cannot compare with the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus and helping others know Him as well. Let us pray to that end. Oh Lord, we do pray that You would give us eyes to see the opportunities for gospel mission work. Those opportunities may reside in our very households. They may be in our extended family, our circle of friends, in our workplace, down the street from us. Father, we pray that You would help us to share the good news of Jesus. It seems scary. 
Shockingly scary. And yet you, O oh God, help other people to know Jesus through people like us. People like us who don't seem to have the right words. People like us who aren't very confident, who may not be dynamic speakers and who may not have the best strategies in the world. And yet you, O oh God, can open hearts. And so how will people believe if they are not told? And how will people be told if people are not sent to do the telling? And so Holy Spirit, send us forth from here to do the telling that people might believe in Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen.